but it's something that I hope that when children read this book, they understand that there's something in them that makes them special. And what makes them different is actually what makes them special. It's, it's, it's cool to be different. It's, and it's powerful to be different. Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. In this episode, I talk with Eva Chen and Sophie Diao about their picture book, I Am Golden, a stunning celebration of self-love, immigration, and Asian-American identity. Author Eva Chen is a first-generation Chinese-American who grew up in New York City. She blames her deviation from pre-med at Johns Hopkins University on a love of fashion and beauty instilled in her by her mother, whose perfect bob and lipstick made a permanent imprint on her impressionable young mind. Previously the editor-in-chief of Lucky, Eva has also written for Elle, Vogue, Teen Vogue, Vogue China, The New York Times, and The Wall Street Journal. She is currently the head of fashion partnerships at Instagram, where she is guilty of the occasional duck face selfie. Eva lives in New York City with her husband and children. And if you're really lucky today, you might even hear some New York City soundscapes in the background. Eva is the author of Juno Valentine and the Magical Shoes, A is for Awesome, and Juno Valentine and the Fantastic Fashion Adventure. Illustrator Sophie Diao is an artist in San Francisco. As research for the book, Sarah and the Big Wave, she surfed a wave that she's pretty sure was over one foot tall. She loves illustrating natural wonders and is the talent behind many a Google doodle. Eva Chen and Sophie Diao are both incredible individuals. Together, they have made a powerhouse picture book that will be loved by many. Here's the synopsis for I Am Golden. This joyful and lyrical picture book from New York Times bestselling author Eva Chen and illustrator Sophie Diao is a moving ode to the immigrant experience, as well as a manifesto of self-love for Chinese-American children. What do you see when you look in the mirror, May? Do you see beauty? We see eyes that point toward the sun, that give us the warmth and joy of a thousand rays when you smile. We see hair as inky black and smooth as a peaceful night sky. We see skin brushed with gold. Eva Chen and Sophie Diao, welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast. I am honored to host you both today to help spread the word about your absolutely stunning picture book, I Am Golden. I want to say that it glows, not just visually, but also in the essence of its message. And so I think I'd love to begin by asking you, Eva Chen, can you share your motivation for writing this book? First of all, thank you, Bianca, for having Sophie and myself on this podcast. We're so excited to share I Am Golden with the world. And you're actually one of our first interviews. So this is thrilling. Yay, um, yay hooray. Um, <laughs> I wrote this book during COVID, actually. It was one of my many COVID projects, including a newborn baby. But the 
genesis of this book really was around the alarming spike in anti-Asian hate crimes. I remember the first time I heard the term China virus and the dread, like the literal dread I was filled with when I heard that term because immediately I thought, oh no, this is this is not going to be good. This is not going to lead to good things. And sure enough, within a few weeks, there, there, there started to be crimes being reported on in local New York City news. The most alarming thing was that they really seemed to target elders um, and seniors. And as someone who has elderly senior parents, Parents, although they would be really mad hearing me describe them in that way. I immediately picked up the phone. I got, and you know, this was during a time when we hadn't seen each other in person in a while, even though we live 10 blocks away, we were just being really cautious with COVID. And I said, you know, you know, make sure to wear masks at all times. That's obvious, but wear sunglasses, wrap your faces in scarves, wear a hat. Don't let anyone see that you're Chinese. Don't speak Chinese loudly on the street. Be super vigilant on subways because there were really scary things happening on subways. My parents kind of brushed it off, but I said like, seriously, like this is happening. And it's so sad that, you know, I was telling my parents and I'm proud to be Chinese uh, American, but I was telling them to hide who they were essentially. And it got me thinking around, you know, being proud of being Asian, being proud of being Chinese. I grew up with really strong roots. You know, I still speak primarily Mandarin to my parents. I call it Chinglish. It's like not the best Mandarin, but it's it's Mandarin. It's it's there. And then it kind of immediately turned to my kids. I have now three kids at the time, two kids. And thinking about how we talked about being Chinese, how we talk about being proud to be half Chinese, the traditions that we infuse into our day to day. And so that's really the very long story of the seed of the idea of I am golden. Now I love that you were able to channel all of this into a picture book that is going to be such a great book for Asian American children, but it's a great book for everybody. And so Sophie Dial, when you f- you were first asked to illustrate I Am Golden, what would you say were your motivations for saying yes to creating the artwork? Yeah, thank you, Bianca. For me, it came around very quickly. I, I can't really decouple being offered this manuscript with the like swiftness with which it needed to come around so I definitely like was very aware of how how important the project was how beautiful the manuscript was but also like how how quickly it needed to get out into the world and so I definitely was motivated to obviously say yes I was like yes I want to do it I was also scared I was worried I wouldn't be able to finish it on time um, I think we had like a couple months of time to to wrap up the book from start to finish which in terms of publishing timelines is like <laughs> very 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 quick it, it felt like a bit of a serendipitous yet faded like thing to be asked to do um, just because I had in March of 2021 um, I had done a little comic comic is almost like the wrong word it it was just a a few lines of writing with a few illustrations after the shootings in Atlanta just to get some of my anxiety and jitteriness out and externalize it a little bit and get out of myself Um, and that kind of um, directly led to me being asked to illustrate this book because Eva stumbled across it on Instagram and like it resonated with her. And I, it was around the same time she was looking for an illustrator for I'm Golden. So I was definitely like very, very shocked and surprised to be offered this book, especially like by kind of celebrity author like Eva. And, um, but it was also kind of like a culmination of 
things I had been thinking about and working on myself over the same period of time, which was very interesting. And I would say made me feel like even better in a way about like putting my own voice out there and trying to make art that was very personal to me. I feel like we kicked this all off with such, I mean, the essence of the book is is really a very important topic. And I get call-in questions that our listeners like to ask the authors and illustrators. And I usually save them for towards the end of our conversation. But this particular question, I feel like it fits right here and right now. So I'm going to line it up and I'm going to play this question for you. Hi, I'm Maya and I'm nine years old. As an Asian American, I love your book, the message it gives to its readers. The main character is May, as in beautiful, and America is make wall for a beautiful country. Do you think America is a beautiful country? How do you think we can make America more beautiful and provide for a better destiny? Oh my gosh, that is the cutest and most profound simultaneous question ever. I love it from such a young human. Well, I mean, I love the question. I do think America is still a beautiful place. Um, I believe in the next generation so much. So um, to the brilliant young child who asked that question, like the, the country is beautiful because of people like you. I believe firmly in empowering the next generation. And and I wrote this book for the child that I was and for the books that I never had growing up. And I do feel like I'm filled with hope every time I walk into a children's bookstore. I live a, a few blocks away from a bookstore called Books of Wonder, and it's a children's bookstore. It only sells children's books. And when I look at the kind of diversity on the shelves now, the different kinds of faces on the shelves now, and the messages of hope and empowerment, I don't think that existed for me uh, so many decades ago. I won't say how many decades ago, but so many decades ago. And so I do feel like it's going to be an even more beautiful country because the future of the country is in hands like yours, um, like the children's hands. And I look at my own kids and I feel hope in terms of the messages that they're taught in school, in terms of the um, conversations that they're having that I never had. So I, I think that's how we ensure a more beautiful future and a more beautiful world is by teaching and equipping children with as many perspectives as possible. The world is a beautiful place. It's a huge world um, that some will, most of it will only be experienced through books. Not everyone is going to be able to travel to see a home country or to see native lands or to see where their ancestors came from. So the more research and perspectives we can give them through reading, through education, through teachers, through diverse perspectives, the more beautiful the country will be. That's beautiful. Sophie, is there anything that you wanted to add to that? Eva's answer was so inspiring. I'm like getting chills over here. I think, you know, she she pretty much summed up everything that I not I couldn't even like grasp in my brain, but like she said it so beautifully. I'll just also add all countries are beautiful. America isn't the only beautiful country. There's something very special about it. Obviously, it's my home. It's where I was born and where I grew up and where I will have my family in the future. But it, it's it's a place where like so many people call home. And I think the very fact that we even have these questions and conversations about is America still beautiful? Can we make America a better place? Can we improve the lives of Americans? And like, what is the American dream? I think these questions 
the fact that people are still asking them and still trying to come up with answers and solutions to them um, gives me a lot of hope and just kind of like cements the, the fact that, yes, of course, it's, it's still a beautiful country. It's going to always be as long as the people who live here and care about it are going to try to make that happen. We need to move on to this incredibly joyful cover. I mean, this cover just pops. The second I saw it pop up in my email, in my inbox, I like it drew me in. I know as a creative person, sometimes to talk about your own work, I mean, maybe it's totally fine for you, Sophie, but maybe it would be wonderful to hear Eva's perspective on what she felt when she first saw the final cover and maybe describe a little bit about what the cover looks like for our listeners since they're not holding a copy in their hands right now. Oh, I have no problem with extolling the virtues of Sophie and embarrassing her uh, as much as possible by praising her immense skills. She mentioned it earlier in uh, the podcast. I, I was stalking her on Instagram a bit before I reached out to her. And so I'm thrilled that she is a partner in this book and that we got to work together on this book. The cover, for those of you guys who cannot see it, because obviously this is an audio platform, is basically meant to express joy self-celebration. One of the words that we had mentioned when I was brainstorming around this cover was someone um, had mentioned, oh, it's about self-acceptance. And I felt like the word acceptance was kind of not grim, but kind of like, well, you know, you, it, it just feels more flat as a word. And really I was like, no, this book is about like self-love. It's about self-joy. It's about self-celebration. It's about reveling in who you are. So the, the cover depicts May, who is the protagonist in the story. And she has her arms flung up uh, joyfully, embracing life, celebrating who she is. She's surrounded by these beautiful um, whirls of golds and orange and uh, kind of soft red hues. Um, there's a line in the book about carrying a flame inside of you that carries uh, who you are, your essence. And so the cover kind of uh, depicts that. And Sophie and I... Like, I don't want to say we agonized, but we kind of agonized about like even the body language of May. I was looking through my texts this morning uh, between Sophie and myself, and we were talking about the position of May's arm. So her arms are kind of, uh, you know, flung open in celebration and the title I am golden is in a uh, gold foil above her. But I remember we went back and forth a few times about like the position of her arms and one of them, it felt a little preachy and another one, it felt kind of like not as energetic. And so finding the right body language was a huge thing for us. And even the outfit, Sophie and I uh, kind of shared some LOL texts because we both found pictures of ourselves in the same outfit, which was like kind of like blunt bangs with denim overalls. We, we both had like similar pairs of kind of nerdy denim overalls. And then there's a phoenix on the back cover, which is a strong figure in Chinese mythology. And then there's the hint of a dragon tail, which you'll see in the book. But Sophie brought so much like amazing perspective and obviously the artistic touch to everything. So Sophie, like, do you remember all our texts going back and forth about like the body language and the colors and the fonts and everything? Yeah. I mean, it was so cool to be able to work so closely with you on this because normally in publishing as the illustrator, you never talk to the author until after the book is pretty much done. Like all of your conversations go through the art director who kind of like decides everything you know, with the publisher. And then 
after everything's done, you're like, hey, author, like, nice to meet you. I just illustrated your entire manuscript. And then they're like, oh, how fun. But definitely in this case, it was like so different. Like from day one, the publisher was like, why don't you have a meeting with Eva to like get to know each other and like start working on the book together? And I was like, oh, wow, this is like definitely going to be a very different process and it was very cool to just have this like direct connection to the person who actually wrote the words who could like advise me on like what their vision was for everything but yeah definitely like the the cover was so fun to work on I mean covers are always really really fun to work on and I think in this case it was just like even though we went back and forth a few times I don't think we ever strayed very far from the central like theme or or message of the cover that's currently out there um we definitely just wanted like to see may in like a pose of celebration and joy it was just a matter of dialing in like how much how much celebration what kind of like close-up she would be in and like what what else would be on the cover and in the end we kind of stripped it down to just may um but before we had kicked around ideas about like what if a dragon was like wrapped around the entire cover on the edges and kind of tying in with the dragon on the back I think the more we looked at it the more we just wanted to keep it very simple and have her radiating all of the emotion yeah we always wanted to keep it red and gold those are like classic Chinese colors of uh, luck and fortune and happiness. So there's no question there about any any of the color palette. I didn't realize when I embarked on my like children's publishing <laughs> journey that the way I worked was unusual. We we have this amazing publisher, Jean Fywell. After my first book, uh, Juno Valentine and the Magical Shoes, she was like, you do know that like 99% of authors 99.9% of authors don't talk to the illustrator until it's done, right? And I remember thinking, that's so bizarre because, you know, you write a book, which is like a baby, and then you to hand it off to someone and then never talk to them. I hadn't, I, I didn't realize that was standard. And for me, I, I come from a magazine publishing background where I would obsess over like the placement of a caption or the font or so many little details, I, I've been trained, you know, to kind of think about things that way. So I feel really grateful that I have a publisher that lets me work directly with these, with, with artists and illustrators. And I, I think the book hopefully feel stronger for it because it's so infused with both Sophie's personal experience and my personal experience. And to be able to talk about it firsthand with her was really such a joy. From an outsider's perspective that is looking at your book, I think that whole collaborative process really has done, I mean, it's amazing. The book really has turned out fantastic. The ch our chat today, I actually asked you both to share a highlight from the book. And I don't know if you both know this, but you both picked the food spread. <laughs> I feel like in Chinese culture, and maybe I'm only speaking for my family, like food is like the nexus. Food is the center of the universe. Food is everything. Um, some families, like my husband's, I'm thinking of when they're celebrating, it's like, oh, let's break open a bottle of champagne or, you know, let's meet at the pub. He's English. Whereas um, in our culture, it's like, yeah, let's get dinner. Let's eat. Like, let's order extra food. And so this food spread was very important to me personally. And I was so excited that Sophie, it's so funny, Bianca, that you said that it's her favorite too. So it was really important to me personally. And I mean, after we were talking about the type of food that should be on the table, I personally got super hungry and uh, had to ask my mom to uh, make 
dinner uh, so that we could have a similar meal. But there's so many personal flourishes and uh, touches on that spread. You know, just all the foods, you know, like are ones that are personal. Um, and when I was writing about the um, sesame balls or, you know, the, the sizzle and pop of like, you know, a wok, like, you know, food being fried, it just, I can close my eyes and like smell the smells and hear the sound of like the food being made. So he brought it to life so perfectly. Well, I'm Australian. I guess I'm Australian American now. And so when you mentioned that, and I'm going to say tomato, but maybe you say tomato, <laughs> the tomato and egg, which is a classic dish. So I, this is why I love reading books that have sort of this cultural experience in it, because I love learning about all of the different traditions and the foods. And so what is the tomato and egg dish? That is oh like God. ultimate comfort food. <laughs> Sophie, do you want to go? You go, you go. Yes. So I'm very, very passionate about tomato and egg. Thank you so much for calling that out, Bianca. I don't know how, like, it's just the best. It's like this delicious stir fry basically how how you make it it's so simple you just scramble an egg and then lay it aside usually add like green onions and sesame oil and then you lay it to one side and then you stir fry cut tomatoes in a pot with oil and then you add the the eggs back in and then it just kind of becomes this delicious, savory, proteiny, you know, slightly acidic with the tomato. It's just so perfect. Oh, and then you add some sugar because like that's like the secret ingredient in all of Chinese food is you add just like a little bit of sugar. It's so delicious. I highly recommend everybody um, look up a recipe. I, a few years ago, I stopped eating eggs. I'm vegetarian. I stopped eating eggs and I got very, very sad that I couldn't eat tomato and egg anymore. But then I discovered there's like vegan egg kind of substitutes out there. So I've just been kind of like so happy that I can continue eating my tomato and egg comfort food even now as a vegetarian. I eat it like kind of you kind of take a heaping spoonful or heaping, you know, you take a heaping scoop of it and you put it over rice. Um, and then what you want is like for the tangy kind of eggy soup, I guess, broth to kind of soak into the bottom of the bowl. And the best part is like that last spoonful of like tomato eggy rice that is like just delicious. And like my mouth is watering. It's lunchtime here in New York. And I'm, I know what I want to eat for lunch now. So thank you. For All right. That, well, Bianca. now I feel like we need to find a link to a recipe and include it in the show notes so that everybody can try it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Next, we have the um, the noodle bowl. So in Chinese like culture, um, eating long noodles for your birthday or for New Year's is like very common. It's just kind of like long noodles signify long life. And so you have to like kind of get the longest noodles. They're like really long and skinny noodles and this like nice broth. So I had to include that. It's like a classic celebration meal. And then we have doujiao, which is like string beans. This is like very, like one of my favorite Chinese dishes. And I always associate, when I think of my grandma and like cooking in her house in China, when I was growing up, I always think of how like 
she always gave me and my cousins these chores to do to prepare for the cooking. It was like a big communal thing where everybody cooked together. And our chore as the kids was to take the string beans and break them in half and then like break the little ends off and peel off the, the string that like ran down the, um, the bean to prepare them for her to cook. And I always think about how fun that was to like sit there with me, my like four or five other cousins and like just like prepare these string beans and like just how of a meditative and yet like pleasant experience that was. Um, and then we have the sesame balls. We even mentioned them in the manuscript, so I had to include them. They're just so delicious. And um, bok choy, like slightly seared with like red pepper and then of course the tomato and egg. And so I just feel like I tried to include as many of my favorite dishes as possible into this spread. Um, there's so many more that I could have included, but I had to stop somewhere. <laughs> I hope everyone's inspired to go eat some Chinese food after this. I know I am. <laughs> so as you said, this was a really collaborative experience, which isn't always the way with a picture book. I imagine that well, typically an illustrator will bring something to the book that the author never imagined, especially when you're not talking with the illustrator as the author. But since the two of you were connected and talking, I imagine that there's probably some pretty personal experiences that could be found within the artwork. So before we move on from the artwork, is there anything that you think the readers should know about to look for in the book that shares a little bit more about who each of you are? I think a lot of the photos um, it was such a touching moment when basically uh, there's a spread where they're looking at photos of family and ancestors. And I remember going through my, my, my dad went through his photo albums to find those pictures for me because we wanted to put them in the book in some way, shape or form. And to see them rendered into art form by Sophie was really touching. My parents haven't seen the book yet. I'm anxiously, I'm, I'm nervous to hear what they think about it because even at my age as a fully grown up adult, I still, of course, want them to love it. And so that spread with the photos um, is intensely personal to me. It's a, a lot of um, family memories and having my dad walk me through each picture, who it was of, a lot of people, you know, grandparents that I had never met because uh, they passed away before I was born. It is, so it's very, very intimate and personal. And this book is, is definitely my most personal book. It's my eighth book. Eight is a very lucky number in Chinese culture, but it's my eighth book. It's my most personal book. And it's the one that I feel like tells my family's story and the most closely. And um, I'm really excited for it to be out in the universe finally. Yeah, for me, um, there's, a, as the illustrator, I think you, we have an outsized amount of power, obviously, over like what goes into the artwork. But it was um, that definitely like, you know, so nice to to talk to Eva about like what was personal to her, what kind of like imagery she pictured um, and memories she had growing up and then I was also able to sprinkle in like a lot of like memories from my own childhood in the spread where May's like looking at her reflection and her mom's cutting her hair like that isn't in the book it's not written into the manuscript that her mom's cutting her hair but it's just like such a clear memory that I had of like these home haircuts and like my mom with her apron and like the scissors and just you know sitting there and being like all right well I guess I have bangs for another six months <laughs> and then there's uh there's the spread with the grandparents when they're doing the video call over dinner in the background of the grandparents house in China I put in a fly swatter and 
I think that's just kind of like a, a thing that I felt right to put in just because I have so many memories of all these summers I spent in China. It seemed like the entire summer we spent battling mosquitoes and flies. So, you know, my grandparents in, in their house, they had like this beaded curtain in front of the front door. So that every time somebody went in and out, the beaded curtain would try to like keep the flies out. Of course, it would never completely succeed. So there'd always be a couple of flies in the in the living room. They always had a fly swatter handy. And I just remember like, I can't really picture them without a fly swatter nearby. And so I just kind of added that in there. So Eva, I have kind of a giant question for you here. So you were the editor-in-chief of the fashion and lifestyle magazine Lucky. You've also written for Elle, Vogue, Teen Vogue, Vogue China, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and I'm probably missing something. And you're currently the head of fashion partnerships at Instagram. With this incredible career in fashion and writing in magazines, combined with raising a family in New York City with your husband, where do you find the extra drive to create children's books and beyond what guides you, I also want to know where you find the time. Great question. <laughs> I have a six-month-old at home right now, but I wrote this book, you know, when I was, I've like lost track of time. I was still pregnant, I guess. Uh, I feel like I've been pregnant for seven years at this point. You know, it, it, it was funny because when I left, I worked at Teen Vogue for seven years. Um, and I remember doing an exit interview with um, the editor-in-chief of Vogue, Anna Wintour. And I remember her asking me, you know, she leaned over her desk and she was like, where do you see yourself, you know, in five to 10 years? What is your career aspiration? And I'm sure a lot of people lean back over and they say, oh, I want to be a stylist or I want to be a designer or I want to be an editor-in-chief. And I leaned over and I was like, my dream in life is to write children's books, actually. And she was like, oh, this is the first time I've heard that. Growing up, I always wanted to write children's books. I grew up, I, I feel like with friends as, um, of course I had friends, uh, but books were truly my best friend. Um, you know, on weekends, I didn't have many play dates. I, I most of the time spent in my parents' store, they worked, um, they had a small business. And so I would spend weekends, you know, reading while they worked. And so I had friends like Ramona and Matilda and Claudia, and, you know, just always had a book under my arm. So the end goal was always to write children's books. And I'm really grateful that dream was able to come true. And in terms of finding time to do it, I, I definitely think it accelerated after I had my first uh, child, Ren. You know, I wanted to write a book for Juno Valentine that was that combined fashion and feminism and fairy tales and kind of talking about, I, I wanted it to be a door that opened to incredible lives like Frida Kahlo or Sally Cook, you know, Serena Williams, and kind of talking about these amazing modern feminist icons. And then and I just did it. You know, I did it at night. I'm kind of a night owl. My husband and I are on completely different schedules. He wakes up at 5 a.m. I often go to sleep at around 11 p.m. or midnight. Um, and I just tried to carve out time every day to write. And one of the things that I do when I meet authors is a nerd out and B kind of ask them. I'm always curious about their process. Um, and I remember I was talking with the YA author, Lee Bardugo. I'm like a super fan of her books. Like I actually like teared up when I met her because I was so excited and I had no chill whatsoever. I met her at BookCon or Book Expo and she was like, oh my God, who's this girl like crying? <laughs> but I asked her and I've asked other authors, you know, how do you do it? Like, how do you write like a huge book that's a thousand words? And she's just like, do it, just find time and just like, you know, just 
write everything. It doesn't have to be kind of amazing. That's what you will go back and kind of like look at it with a, a different eye. And so that's always what I've just done. I've written from the heart and I am golden actually was the most organic to write because it, it felt I had, I hadn't written poetry uh, since college basically, but it felt closest in process to that where it just kind of flowed very easily. Um, so I was writing the book as like a kind of manifestation or as like a love letter to my children and to my parents and to myself as a child. So it, it was in some ways the easiest and hardest to write. All right, Sophie Dial, I have a, a similar question for you because I know that you love illustrating natural wonders and you are the talent behind many Google Doodles. So what led you to create books for children? And is there something internal that drives you to do so? I think for me, it's it's much easier to draw the line between like the work I do for my day job and um, children's books. Um, as an illustrator, I think there's no shortage of like ways in which to use your, your skill uh, as an artist to like in multiple different interest, industries. And so I, I always, you know, was interested in children's books. Obviously as a child, I was like so obsessed with them. Um, grew up reading a, a bunch, like Eva said, just carrying books around and, and having the main characters of the books be like a constant presence in my head. When I became, you know, a little bit older, I wanted to go into animation. And so I went to animation school, uh, learned how to make films and about the whole pipeline and process of animated films. And then I ended up at Google, which was such a crazy, like serendipitous uh, turn of events, but have been here for eight and a half years now. I'm making Google Doodles. And the whole time, I just feel like so lucky to have continue to nurture the thing that makes me want to draw. Um, it's very easy to kind of lose that. And I definitely lost touch with it from time to time, just feeling like, oh, I just draw so much for work. I don't really feel like drawing in my spare time or all of my creative juice is gone at the end of the day and I don't really have it there anymore. But I think the amazing thing about working on children's books is you, each one is so, such a self-contained and magical world. It might not look like very much, but it's, you know, usually 32 or 40 pages. So that's a re really a lot of artwork and a lot of story that can be told in that amount of time. And each time you embark on illustrating a children's book it's like you're you're diving into this whole new world of like who is the person I'm, I'm illustrating like who are these people what is this world and like what is it going to look like and there's just this like exciting rush of inspiration that comes when you like crack it open for the first time and you start to try to figure out what it's going to look like it's sort of an addictive process the more children's books I do the more I want to do and I hope to be lucky enough to continue illustrating them um, as time goes on and I think it would be it's it's very complimentary to the sort of work that I do for my full-time job, which is like shorter term, quick projects. None of them ever take like one or two years to really complete with the very rare exception of like some of the bigger games that we do. And so like having this long project after work of a children's book to like sink your teeth into and like really tell a story over many, many pages is such a, it's like a warm bath. Sometimes it's like very stressful so it's like a warm bath with like sharks in it or something. But then at most of the time, it's, you know, it just feels so, so nice to have this 
constant creative project at the end of the day to like go back to and work on. So my motivation to do children's books at the end of the day is very, very high. And that's something you both mentioned right up front when you started answering those similar questions was that you were both readers as kids. And it's a question I ask in each episode of my podcast, which is to be a writer, they say that you need to be a reader first. So I'm just curious if there's a pivotal moment that each of you remember from your lives where you actually thought to yourself, I am a reader. So many times I, my mom was telling me the other day because she spends a lot of time with my kids, which I'm very I feel so like grateful and lucky to have her help and also presence, like constant presence in our lives. But she was telling me, we were talking about like different styles of play. And we were talking about like, my kids are very physical. They're very active. And my daughter, she's seven, just kind of turned a corner where she started reading. And there's this moment where you see them sounding out words. You see them like they say to stretch the words out like bubble gum, although she doesn't really eat bubble gum. But anyway, like stretch the words out like glue. So it's like, they'll see her sounding out words. And I was like trying to be chill about it all summer, like not kind of hovering over her too much, trying to help her. But suddenly like there was this moment where things clicked and she started reading. And I I just like, just felt so overwhelmed with joy and happiness, seeing her break into that new experience in this whole new world. And like, could imagine this door, this magical, like shimmering gateway opening. And so now it's like, she's always with a book now. And I can hear her kind of muttering to herself, you know, reading to herself. And it makes me so happy. And I was talking with my mom about it and she was saying like, you know, you were the same way. Like once you learned how to read, it's like you always had a book and that you didn't want to play with dolls. You didn't play with, you know, Barbies, no disrespect to Barbie, but like you didn't play with any of these things. All you wanted to do was read and write. It must've been around seven then as well. Um, I remember reading, uh, I mean, there are so many books that kind of launched my book love. My mom says the first book that I really fell in love with was Are You My Mother by P.D. Eastman, which I think is like a, a classic. Yeah, so many love books that one. Similar. <laughs> yeah, there's so many books with that similar theme. If you think about it, like looking for your mom, looking for a family, seeking validation. And so my mom said that was the first book I just like loved so much. You know, all the doll books, roll doll books, which... Of course, my kids love them. They love hearing like, you know, stories. I think it's because it's slightly like there are things in those books that are like slightly offbeat, slightly dark, slightly weird, slightly rude. Like if you think about the idea of like whiz poppers and like the BFG. And so I think those books really clicked it. And then the Babysitter's Club was huge for me. I remember reading them and just kind of being like, wow, this is like so cool. Like, and it's a story about like entrepreneurship. If you think about it, friendship, yes. But also these like awesome girl entrepreneurs and also not coincidentally, like the fact that it had like an an Asian character, Claudia Kishi was like huge for me. It was the first time I'd ever read like a fellow Asian name in a book. And so that was a huge moment for me as well. But so many moments throughout time that really like cemented my like reading reader status. How about you, Sophie? For me, I think I remember like when I was a kid, I I think I started off when I was very young being like super rambunctious and crazy and running around a bunch. But then for some reason, once I got like a little bit older, like six or seven, I got really introverted and shy. It might have been something to do with like we, we were moving around a lot and I kind of became like, oh, I'm like really, you know, nervous to be the new kid all the time. And so it kind of took a turn of my personality. But then as I became more like inward and in 
interior facing, I really developed an addiction to books. And I remember um, whenever my parents would go to like family friends houses for potlucks, which is like, you know, feel like we we're always going to potlucks <laughs> with other Chinese families. I would just go to like those families kids rooms and like sit on the ground and read their books instead of engaging or socializing with any of the adults. I just like felt more comfortable being there. And um, it was like my go to activity. I don't think there was a specific like book or events that really like turned me on to it. It just kind of seemed like it, it, it was such a natural thing. I do remember like I tore through all the babysitters little sister <laughs> books like those chapter books when I was like in first or second grade. All the books in the Scholastic Book Club I remember being so excited to like you know order them and like take them home and then it's funny like as I was getting older I was asking my mom about like the books I was reading when I was a kid and she said that I would just like even when I was like two I would just sit and like flip through the phone book and be so interested in all the text and the pages what was on the next page turn even though it was like all the same lines of tiny tiny names and numbers I think there's something like very fascinating to me about the like wonder of like what's going to be on the next page and like what is this these shapes that I don't understand and so that probably just kind of like cemented this you know interest in in the book format um, ever since I was a kid. There's literally nothing better literally nothing better than the scholastic book club where you got like that flyer and I remember the texture of the paper was kind of thin and floppy and then you had that little like bookmark shaped strip that you rip off at the end and you could check off the books you wanted. Like I have such a strong visceral, I had such a strong visceral reaction when you said that. So because I was like, oh, I remember that. And I remember that being the time of year that I looked forward to the absolute most. It was just like my joy. Um, we need to bring that back. I don't, I don't know if they still do that. They do. They do. They do. Yeah. My kids bring home the flyer and you can um, check it off. But of course, everything's sort of online now. So you get the flyer and then you can go online and put your class rooms code in so your teacher gets credits and bonus books and whatnot. I think what you guys just said, this is why I think books and reading is so amazing because there were so many little things that each of you said that I was like, yes, me too. And I feel like books really connect us and unite us. And I Am Golden is a celebration of Asian American children, but it's a celebration of all children and all culture and all life at, at the same time. And I just think, I mean, when you said Scholastic Book Clubs, yes. When you said Claudia from the Babysitter's Club, I loved Claudia. She was like the coolest one. So books are just magical. They connect us, they unite us. And so I want to close out by allowing each of you to just share what impact do you hope I Am Golden will have on readers? Sophie, do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, well, this is, I feel like we get asked this question uh, a lot and I freeze because I'm like, I don't know, it's such a, such a big question. I hope I have a good answer for it. But I would say, I just think, you know, as, as I was growing up when I was a kid, I was frequently felt very singled out, felt very um, alone in the classroom and like, you know, usually was the only Asian child in my classroom or school and my parents in each each new community that we moved to they had like one other Asian family or two other Asian families they knew in the entire city that we would like always hang out with and so I was very like aware of I guess my own 
status as a minority, as a child of immigrants, um, parents who like didn't quite understand all the like random things that my teachers would ask them to do, like bake cookies. It wasn't really a thing. Like we don't really bake cookies in Chinese culture. And so being asked to bake cookies for the classroom was like very stressful for us. It was kind of interesting to like reflect on that now as I'm older and thinking about like what I would have wanted to be told when I was a kid. I think I just would want this book to sort of be a reinforcing thing for for kids, for children of immigrants or like anyone who feels singled out to like remind them that they're they're special, but also like as a as something for immigrant parents or people who've moved here who don't really have the like same cultural background as their kids will have just because of the the gap in like where people grow up and what what it's like when you grow up for for those parents to feel like they have a book that can like express all of the joy and hope and dreams that they have for their kids in words that maybe you know they don't quite have the ability to say themselves whether it's like you know there's like a cultural or like a language barrier or something like something that just like would 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 enable them to use this book as like a, a tool in their relationship with their kid. Definitely. I think that this book is absolutely a tool and a toolbox for a lot of people. I think for teachers, for for them to be able to reflect the Asian experience. But as Sophie said, it also is a tool to talk about bullying. For instance, there's a spread in it that's about bullying. I remember the first time I was bullied and made aware that I was different. And it still, I can remember exactly what I was wearing. I was remember the playground I was standing in. I walk by it still sometimes because I grew up in New York City and the schools in New York City and still have that kind of kind of tingling feeling like I'm you know, seven or eight years old again. Um, so I think it's a tool for educators. I think for kids um, who might not be able to talk about certain things with their parents or don't feel like their parents have ever explained their personal story of immigration, it's a tool for children and parents to talk about experiences together. My family is not very like emotive. Uh, I would have to ask these questions about like, what was it like for you when you were like seven years old? What was your favorite color growing up? You know, I think the relationship I have with my kids is a little bit different because we literally talk about everything. But my parents, they moved here in the 70s. They had this like work, 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 work culture where basically it's like they weren't working, they were eating, they weren't eating, they were sleeping. Like that was it. Um, and so hopefully this book can kind of help parents ex open a door and kind of be a foot in the door to that conversation about what it was like for them if they're coming from a different country and not just for Chinese immigrants, but also for any kind of immigrant experience. Um, because that so many of us have stories. Um, you, Bianca, have a story of coming from Australia that you will share, you know, that you can share. And so that story of like coming to a new place, forging your path, and also that self-affirmation. Self-esteem wasn't a term that I had heard or confidence that I really felt like was a kind of muscle I was flexing or kind of learning about until was 30, to be honest, or like kind of more recently. But it's something that I hope that when children read this book, they understand that there's something in them that makes them special. And what makes them different is actually what makes them special. It's 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 cool to be different. It's and it's powerful to be different. And those differences are what define you. So that's what that's my modest wish uh, for I am golden. Like Sophie and I have like these modest, huge, 
wishes for the book. And um, we hope that it resonates with audiences and children and parents and educators everywhere. Yes. Oh my gosh. Listeners, this book is truly so beautiful. You have to go out and buy this book and don't just buy it for yourself. You need to buy it for everybody you know. Share it with your family. Share it with your friends. Tell your libraries that they need to get copies. I mean, it's incredible. It really is a special, special book. I think one thing we just, we didn't touch on, so I'm just going to mention it really quickly, is that I think when a parent is reading this book, no matter what their cultural background is, there's this beautiful concept of parental self-sacrifice that just, it just comes across and it creeps into your heart and fills it. I just, I loved that element too. So I just had to mention it right before we go, but it truly is a gorgeous book. And I am so, so grateful, Sophie Diao and Eva Chen for your time today. And I just, I wish you all the best with this book. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of I Am Golden. To see which author or illustrated guests we have coming up and how you can be on our podcast and have your questions answered by authors and illustrators, visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com forward slash the Growing Readers Podcast. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Chromecast, or anywhere else you like to listen. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats as much as I am, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To discover more fantastic books for kids, just like Eva Chen and Sophie Diao's I Am Golden, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.